Glory to Jesus Christ. Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish presents Light of the East, a program revealing how the Eastern Catholic Churches have nourished the Roman Catholic Churches and today's world in profound ways through their histories, traditions, mysteries, and spirituality. Hello, I am Father Thomas J. Loya, pastor of Annunciation of the Mother of God Byzantine Catholic Church in Homer Glen, Illinois, and this is a story of the Eastern Churches, an inspiring story of faith, courage, intrigue, mystery, spirituality, dissension, and reconciliation. But most of all, this is an expression of a great experience of faith through our unique divine liturgy. Join with me now as we look toward the Light of the East. Light of the East is also supported by Eastern Christian Publications, where you can find the prayers of the Catholic Byzantine Daily Office at ecpubs.com and by easternchristianmedia.com, a broadband network for you to learn more about the Eastern Catholic Churches. That's easternchristianpublications.com. Glory to Jesus Christ. Welcome to Light of the East. I'm Father Thomas Loyo, your host. We're moving through what I will call the descending cycle of the liturgical year. This refers to the descent of our Lord Jesus Christ, of God himself, that incarnational cycle of the liturgical calendar. And that will give rise then to the ascending In other words, God descends, we call it the divine condescension. This is what we refer to as Christmas in the Eastern churches. God coming down, bending the heavens while still remaining in heaven, coming down to earth, taking on all that we are, our flesh, everything except sin. He continues to go down in stages. He's born in a cave, as G.K. Chesterton once said, heaven is beneath the earth at Bethlehem when Jesus is born, because he's born in a cave, put in a manger, a feeding trough for animals. And then he'll be circumcised, he'll submit to the law, he'll put himself beneath the law. He'll be baptized in the River Jordan, which is the lowest point on the earth's surface. And then he'll be presented in the temple, again, submitting to the law. So this is all about God's divine humiliation for us. But then we'll start to move through that period where Christ will then raise us up after coming down as far as he can go. In fact, he would even go into Hades to break the bonds of the devil. He'll go that far down. He'll then come up, raising us up with him, ascending into heaven and mounting us on the throne of heaven with him. So that's the cycle of the year. Basically, it's two cycles. It's the descending and the ascending. So in between, we get a little bit of what we might call some ordinary time. But as I always say in this program, ordinary is always extraordinary. The extraordinary is the ordinary in the liturgical, sacramental, spiritual life. That's especially true in the Eastern churches because this week it's just loaded, loaded with spiritual masters, masters of the spiritual life, the great monastics. We have this week the feast days of great, great people like Athanasius and Cyril, Macarius, Euthemius, Maximus the Confessor, and Anthony the Great. St. Anthony was the original monk, the one that basically started monasticism, and his feast day 
is on January 17th in the Byzantine liturgical calendar. You see, monasticism started in the East, in the Eastern churches, especially in the deserts of Egypt. Now, we might have a forerunner of monasticism in the Essene community, which was around the Dead Sea, and that was during the time of John the Baptist, and even before, it was a certain sect of Judaism, and they followed a kind of a monastic tradition. Well, John the Baptist certainly was the ultimate desert monk, but monasticism as we know it from the time after Christ was really started by this man named Anthony, Anthony the Great. He was an Egyptian. He was born in 250. And after the death of his rich and noble parents, he shared his inherited possessions with his sister, who was still in her minority and made sure that she was cared for, gave away his half of the inheritance to the poor at the age of 20, consecrated himself to the life of asceticism that he had desired from childhood. So I'm going to read a little bit about Anthony from two sources. First of all, what's called the Synaxarian, or also the Prologue of Okrid, and also from the sayings of the Desert Fathers. So we get to learn about this great ascetic and others too, but also learn about some of their wisdom, why they're actually notable on our liturgical calendar. At first, Anthony lived near his own village, but then in order to escape the disturbance of men, he went off into the desert on the shores of the Red Sea, where he spent 20 years as a hermit in company with no one but God in unceasing prayer, pondering, and contemplation, patiently undergoing inexpressible demonic temptations. You see, when people went into the desert, the reason they did was because they wanted to live what's called a white martyrdom. White martyrdom occurred because blood martyrdom was no longer the way of the day because Christianity became legalized, persecution stopped, at least the persecutions as we knew them in the early centuries of the church. But these individuals were so radical, so passionate about performing and modeling a great, great dramatic witness for their love of God that they almost were unhappy that they would not die as blood martyrs. So they found another way to martyr themselves. It's called white martyrdom. And white martyrdom is what monasticism is. So they went off away from the allurements of the cities and the secular society, and they went off to the monasteries. And many times they lived lives as hermits. And other times they would then get together with other monks at certain times of the year. Then there was also monasticism where they lived in community. So there were several kinds of monasticism, but early on it was very much like hermits, just as we see with St. Anthony. Now his fame spread throughout the whole world. And around him, he gathered many disciples whom he, by word and example, placed on the path of salvation. In 85 years of ascetic life, that means a lot of fasting and praying, he went only twice to Alexandria, the first time to seek martyrdom during a time of persecution of the church, and the second at the invitation of St. Athanasius to refute the Arians' slanderous allegations that he too was a follower of the Arian heresy. You see, it's hard to imagine for us today who seek so much comfort and basically are satisfied with a lot of mediocrity in our faith and our practice of church. It's hard for us to imagine that someone would go into town to seek martyrdom. Now, this is not something kinky or perverted. It's a genuine zeal for the faith. They wanted to witness that dramatically out of their love of God. Anthony departed this life at the age of 105 leaving behind a whole army of disciples and followers. And although Anthony was unlettered, he was as a counselor and teacher one of the most learned men of his age, as also was St. Athanasius the Great. Now, when some Hellenic philosophers tried to test him with literary learning, Anthony shamed them with the question, which is older, 
the understanding, or the book, and which of these is the source of the other? The shame philosophers dispersed, for they saw that they had only book learning without understanding, while Anthony had understanding. Here was a man who had attained perfection insofar as man is able on earth. Here was an educator of educators and teacher of teachers who for a whole 85 years perfected himself and only thus was able to perfect many others. Full of years and great works, Anthony entered into rest in the Lord in the year 356 AD. Monasticism, as St. John Paul II said, is the reference point for the baptized. Every one of us, even if we are married, and especially if you are married, I know this will sound a little strange, but especially if you are married, you must be good monks. St. John Chrysostom said that. What do I mean by that? Well, we have to understand monasticism in a little bit deeper way. We think of monasticism as just a renunciation of marriage and sexual life and so on. Well, yes, it is that, but it's not to be defined in the negative like that. It's not just what you renounce. It's more so what you choose. You choose, above all, Christ. You choose to become that spouse of Christ or spouse of the church in a complete way. Monasticism, the reason why it's the reference point for all the baptized is because monasticism involves what all of us are supposed to live in our own way, even if we're married, by virtue of our baptism. See, baptism, that's the thing that links us. Baptism is that dying to self and rising to the other, putting God first, living in the very life of the Trinity with virtues, overcoming sin, moving beyond the fallen passions and practicing virtues. Every Christian is supposed to do that. That's the monastic element in our lives. And also, every Christian is supposed to love God above all else. Married people are happiest when they are good monks. By that, I don't mean they're supposed to be celibate. I mean, they're married. But they're supposed to have a sacramental, virtuous approach to their sexuality, practicing chastity. That's right. There's chastity even in marriage. It means to practice your sexuality, regardless of what your state is, whether you're a monastic or married, to practice it virtuously, being honest to that state. So a married couple has the element of monasticism in their married life by putting God first, living a life of discipline, asceticism, practicing the virtues, being deferential to one another, and being very sensitized and very much in sync with each other in their one flesh union, in their marital sexuality. In other words, they honor it, like we read about in the book of Tobit. This is what monasticism is in marriage. It is a dying to self, rising to Christ first, and in that way, a couple gets to love each other even more deeply. So monasticism and marriage actually are two sides of the one same coin. They're two ways of loving. They're two ways of making that complete gift of self first to God and then to others. It's just that it's in two different ways, but two sides of the same coin. And this is why people like Anthony, and again, this is not the St. Anthony that is most well-known. This is St. Anthony of the Desert, the great monastic way back in the third century. This is why he is famed, especially in the Eastern churches, because to understand the Eastern churches is to understand monasticism. Monasticism 
and the liturgical life. Those are the two pillars of the Eastern Christian spirituality. When we come back, we're going to talk more about St. Anthony and some other monks and read a little bit about their great wisdom as they achieved a great level of spiritual perfection, although they would never admit to that. That's why they were spiritually perfect. They were, above all, humble. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. Light of the East mission is Christianity's reunion, and to tell the story of the Eastern Lung of the Catholic Church, we need your support. In order to keep Light of the East on the air, you can make a donation now by going to byzantinecatholic.com. That's byzantinecatholic.com. And then donate securely using any major credit card. With your help, we can keep Light of the East's illumination bright. It's no secret that Father Loya and other speakers from the Tabor Life Institute are available to speak at your parish or group on marriage and family topics seen through the lens of St. John Paul II's Theology of the Body. Other topics include Eastern Christian spirituality and the significance of art in the church. The Tabor Life Institute can arrange for marriage encounters, parish missions, and can help your parish facilitate teen faith formation in either English or Spanish. For Father Loya and other speakers, contact the Tabor Life Institute by writing to taborlife at earthlink.net. That's Tabor spelled T-A-B-O-R life at earthlink.net. I'm Mary Fiorito of the Ethics and Public Policy Center and the DeNicola Center for Ethics and Culture, and you are listening to Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. You are listening to the choirs of Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Church under the direction of Timothy Woods in Homer Glen, Illinois. This is the music you hear on Light of the East and is sung during the sacred liturgy at Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish. Order online at byzantinecatholic.com. All we ask is a donation of $20 or more, which includes shipping and handling to Annunciation Parish for each Theosis CD. Send a check made out to Annunciation Parish at 14610 Wilcook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois, 60491. And may God grant you Welcome back to Light of the East. I'm Father Thomas Loyal, your host on this day in which we're going to be good monks. It's sort of the connecting link between, as I mentioned earlier, the descending cycle of the liturgical calendar. That's God's descent to earth where he's born and baptized and so on. And then his ascending cycle, which will be as we move into Lent and towards his resurrection and ascension into heaven. In between, we're looking at some monastics, which is very appropriate because the descending action of God, his coming to earth, and that marvelous incarnation, that marvelous, unbelievable act of love, of self-emptying, of humiliation for us in exchange for our sin, that tremendous act of love warrants one kind of response, and that would be a monastic response. 
In other words, making our life first and foremost about God and practicing the necessary disciplines to make that life first and foremost about God, even if we are married, especially if we are married, and living deeply the life of prayer, a life of the church, a life of charity. And then we get an even greater reason to live monasticism when we move through the passion, suffering, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So you see, you can't escape being a good monk, even if you are married, as we said earlier. Let's listen to some of the wisdom of St. Anthony in particular. As I mentioned this week in the Byzantine liturgical calendar, we celebrate many monks, many great spiritual masters. But St. Anthony said this, he said, learn to desire humility, for that will cover all your sins. All sin is hateful to God, but the most hateful of all is pride of heart. Do not consider yourself learned or wise, or all your toil will be lost and your ship will arrive empty at the shore. If you have great power, threaten no man with death. Know that according to nature, you also are subject to death, and that each soul takes off its body as its final clothing. Now, in Byzantium, you know, the Byzantine Empire, where we get the word, the title Byzantine Catholic, there was a strange and instructive custom at the coronation of the emperor in St. Sophia's, that's Hagia Sophia, the great church in the Byzantine Empire. And what they did was when the patriarch placed the crown on the emperor's head, imagine they did that. Imagine the pope inaugurating the president of the United States, swearing him into office. Boy, that would be so unusual. Well, this is how it was back then. The patriarch placed the crown on the emperor's head in the Byzantine Empire. But at the same time, he placed in his hand a silk purse with grave dust so that the emperor would be mindful of his death, flee all pride, and be humble. You see, again, you see the influence of monasticism, that virtue of humility that the monks were always after more than anything else. You see that in even the practice of the government at that time. So the monastic influence was really profound back then. I mean, it still is in its own way, but I think it needs to be rediscovered. And in fact, it is being rediscovered. We have in my particular eparchy, in the greater Cleveland area, in Burton, Ohio, we have a marvelous monastery of young religious nuns. It's called Christ the Bridegroom Monastery, which are living a very authentic Byzantine liturgical prayer life. They're out there in beautiful Amish country, and they have a beautiful place out there. If you're ever interested in doing some serious prayer with the nuns or visiting their shrines, the shrine of Our Lady of Mariapoch, it's based on a miraculous weeping icon from Hungary. You can contact them at ChristTheBridegroom.com. That's Christ the Bridegroom Monastery out in Burton, Ohio. Christ the Bridegroom Monastery. But also, in the Latin Rite, in the Western Church, if you notice, some of the most vibrant and fastest-growing religious orders, which came from monasticism, are orders like the Dominican Sisters. Because in both cases, either in the Christ the Bridegroom Monastery nuns or the Dominican Sisters in the Latin Rite, the reason why both of those religious communities are growing and are happy and they're productive and fruitful and people admire them is because they're being authentic to their charisms. The Christ the Bridegroom Monastery is being authentic to its charism of Byzantine prayer and liturgy and spirituality. And religious orders like the Dominican Sisters of Nashville and Ann Arbor, they are being very, very faithful to the charism of their original Dominican monasticism, or you might call it Dominican order. See, religious orders developed in the West, but they grew out of the monasticism 
that was in the East. Generally, the Eastern churches don't have religious orders per se. They just have monasticism. But monasticism, as it grew and developed in the Western churches, they developed different orders, friaries and so on, oblates, etc. And again, as always, the church develops according to its own respective needs, East and West. Let's look at something else from St. Anthony. St. Anthony had lived in the desert. He was beset by achidia. Now, that's a word, it's one of the vices, opposite of the virtue, where we get slothful, kind of lazy, almost melancholy. And he was attacked by many sinful thoughts. He said to God, Lord, I want to be saved, but these thoughts do not leave me alone. What shall I do in my affliction? How can I be saved? A short while afterwards, when he got up to go out, Anthony saw a man like himself sitting at his work getting up from his work to pray, then sitting down and plaiting a rope, then getting up to pray again. It was an angel of the Lord sent to correct and reassure him. He heard the angel saying to him, do this and you'll be saved. At these words, Anthony was filled with joy and courage. He did this and he was saved. Now I'm reading from a wonderful book called The Sayings of the Desert Fathers. It's really a lot of fun to read because it has all these interesting little stories and words of wisdom from the fathers these great spiritual desert fathers, these monastics that we're talking about this week. Another bit of wisdom is this. When the same monk, Anthony, thought about the depths of the judgments of God, he asked, Lord, how is it that some die when they are young while others drag on to extreme old age? Why are there those who are poor and those who are rich? Why do wicked men prosper? Why are the just in need? He heard a voice answering him, Anthony, keep your attention on yourself. These things are according to the judgment of God and is not to your advantage to know anything about them. Someone asked Anthony, what must one do in order to please God? The old monk Anthony said, pay attention to what I tell you, wherever you may be. Always have God before your eyes. Whatever you do, do it according to the testimony of the Holy Scriptures. And whatever place you live, do not easily leave it. Keep these three precepts and you will be saved. Now, a lot of times, other monks would come to Abba, Abba, Anthony. They're called Abba. Abba means like father. So in the Eastern churches, we use the word Abba. In the West, it's abbot. Abba means, of course, father. In the Eastern churches, a monk, especially if he's a monk for a few years, is referred to as father, which means he's a spiritual father. So someone asked, it was actually Abba Piman. Now, there was another famous monk. Anthony said to Piman, this is the great work of a man, always to take the blame for his own sins before God and to expect temptation to his last breath. He also said, whoever has not experienced temptation cannot enter into the kingdom of heaven. He even added, without temptations, no one can be saved. Isn't that interesting? Not that we want temptation. We pray in the Our Father, lead us not into temptation. We don't want temptation. But in that fascinating kind of mysterious way, temptations is what actually helps to save us because to go up against temptations is how we grow in virtue and virtue is how we are saved. Oftentimes we can think of it like, well, like two pieces of sandpaper that rub together. They kind of make each other softer. Even though they're both rough as they rub together, they make each other softer. We grow in things like, for example, if you want to build muscle in your body. What do you do? You go up against weights that are a bit hard or maybe even too heavy to lift, but you work up to them and working against them builds your muscle. Same thing in the spiritual life. Temptation can build our resolve, build our spirituality. Now we can also fall to temptation, yes, 
But if you've never had temptation, it means you've never really lived. Think of a player on a football team, for example. At the end of the season, he can say, well, you know what? I never got dirty. I never got hurt all season. Aren't I a great athlete? Well, it's because maybe he never played in the game. So it's that kind of a thing. You play in the game. Yeah, you might get hurt. You might take risks. But that's how you become a great player, by playing in the game, going up against the adversity and the challenges. So it is in the spiritual life. And the monks knew this. Abba Pambo asked Anthony, what ought I to do? The old man said to him, do not trust in your own righteousness. Do not worry about the past, but control your tongue and your stomach. See, the monks practice a lot of what we call asceticism. In fact, Anthony said, some have afflicted their bodies by asceticism, but they lack discernment. And so they are far from God. The asceticism is that personal discipline, especially with the thoughts and the passions, our fallen passions, you know, lust and gluttony, achidia, in other words, being kind of lazy, slothful, melancholy. Those are the disciplines we have to practice to be good monks, and we need God's grace for them. But we also need the spirit of discernment and of prayer. It's not just a spiritual gymnastics. That's not what monasticism is. And that's to show off how much you can fast and lead an austere life. It's about how we grow in virtue, of which asceticism is part of it. I want to thank you for listening. Now go and be good monks, whether you are single, celibate, or married. Thanks for listening. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. To hear Light of the East again, visit byzantinecatholic.com and click on the Features and Programs tab and on iTunes. Thank you for listening to Light of the East. We encourage you to tell a friend about Light of the East and to visit byzantinecatholic.com. Light of the East is produced by ABC Media. radio is it's training for the troops it's a interaural of the ear boot camp the folks who listen who grow in their faith grow in charity grow in all the virtues they then go out and exert an influence far beyond just themselves catholic radio has an exponential effect for bringing people deeper into the faith dr ray garendi thinks catholic radio is important so should you thank you for listening Next week, we will return to the light of the East. To learn more about Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish, visit our website, byzantinecatholic.com, where you will also find an archive of all of our programs. In order to continue Light of the East with its mission of Christianity's reunion, we need your support with a donation. Any amount will be a blessing. Please make out a check to Light of the East Radio and send it to Light of the East, 14610 Will Cook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois, 60491. That's Light of the East, 14610 Wilcook Road, spelled W-I-L-L-C-O-O-K Road, Homer Glen, Illinois. Or donate online on the homepage of ByzantineCatholic.com. From the Light of the East, a new dawn of unity is in sight. God bless you, go with God, and may God grant you many happy years. Oh!